Take your Bible, if you would, please, and open them to the 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians. And today I'm going to preach to you. There are many churches that you could go to in the Santa Rosa area, in the Roanoke Park area today. And the preacher will stand behind a pulpit. He'll prepare to preach a sermon. He may or may not ask you to open your Bible. And if he does, what he has to say may not have anything at all to do with the text that he's just read. But I ask you to open your Bible today because I want to preach to you because I think that is the most important thing that we do in Berean Baptist Church. We have lots of activities that go on here. We just had vacation Bible school. We, had, we have social events. We have children's programs. We have a Christian school. We have campouts, all kinds of things that go on. But the number one priority that we have in Berean Baptist is the preaching of the Word of God. And if I don't preach to you today, I have failed you, and I've failed the commission that God has given to His church. Today, we're going to go into part number two of the message I began last week on the superiority of preaching. And there are many things that do go on in churches today, but preaching is to be number one. In our text here, we find that Paul is struggling against the misuse of spiritual gifts in this Corinthian church. There were problems that, that this church had. What they had done, actually, was replace the good, solid preaching of the Word of God with spiritual gifts that they shouldn't even, or, or not using in the right way. They were using the temporary sign gifts, and they misunderstood why God gave these certain gifts to the church. They were keyed up on the issue of emotionalism, like many churches are today. They liked the activity. They liked the outward gift. They liked the excitement of this thing called speaking in tongues, and they made that the number one priority in the church. Paul's view of this is far different. He considered the gift of tongues to be the least least of all the gifts. In fact, he tells us in that 13th chapter, these gifts would soon pass away, and even right then they were fading from the scene. And so he tells the people in Corinth, what you need to consider is preaching. Consider the preaching of the Word of God, because that is number one. Let's take our Bibles today, if you would, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I'd like you to stand with me as we read today. We're looking further into the subject, the superiority of preaching. I want to start with verse number 1 again that we read last week. We'll read down to verse number 5, and then we're going to consider the other verses uh, throughout the message. Verse number 1, follow after charity... We know that means love and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye prophesy. And here he's speaking about preaching. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. That's what preaching does. Verse 4, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. But he that prophesieth, he that preacheth, edifieth the church. I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the opportunity to preach your word today. Lord, open up this text before us. Help us to understand it better. Just exactly what you mean about preaching and how superior that is for the church today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The superiority of preaching. 
In, in part number one of the sermon that uh, I preached last week, we talked about the illumination of preaching. I want you to notice verses 3 and 4 again. It says, But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. Once again, the contrast that Paul is making in this scripture is preaching versus speaking in tongues. Paul deals with this gift this gift of speaking in tongues more than he does any of the other spiritual gifts because this is the one that the church in Corinth was mixed up about. This is the one that they had made prominent in their church and the gift of tongues was not to be prominent in that day and neither is this gift to be prominent in churches today. Now I want to emphasize again as I did last week that I I don't intend to hurt anyone's feelings by the message today. We're not mad at anybody. But what I do think is important for us to do is to open up the Scriptures and learn the truth of God's Word. And so we have to expose things that are false practices. And so I think that's a responsibility that I have, to labor to deliver the truth of God's Word. In these third and fourth verses, we're given the importance of preaching. We covered this last week, so I'm not going to go into it in great detail today. But there are three important purposes that come through the illumination of preaching. The first one is education, and then edification, and then exhortation. Preaching is for education because this is the way that you learn what God's Word means. Our doctrine is very important to us. Our doctrine governs the practice that we have in church. And to the extent that any person is wrong in their doctrine, they're going to be wrong in their practice. And so it's very important that you understand through preaching, through the education of God's Word, what that word means. Preaching is also for edification. Edify means to build up. Preaching is the way that we build up God's church. Both Paul and Peter refer to the church or compare it to a building. And they said, Peter said especially, we are lively stones that are built up into a spiritual house. That's one of the reasons why you need preaching in order to build you up in your spiritual life. Your church is a place where you come to listen to God's Word and to be built up in your faith so you understand what you believe. When God's Word is preached, you feast upon God's Word. That's your spiritual nourishment that you receive. And so when you absent yourself from the preaching of the Word of God, you'll be a weak Christian. Just like a a person who skips meals and doesn't eat meals as they should is going to become a a, a physically weak person, so if you absent yourself from the preaching of the Word of God, you become a very spiritually weak person. Thirdly, preaching is for exhortation. And that means for encouragement. One of the reasons that I preach to you is to encourage you in your walk with God, how you stand for God. Sometimes we forget about that in everyday life. We have something to stand upon, and so we need to be reminded and to be exhorted to earnestly contend for our faith. And that's so necessary because we live, as you know, in a very wicked part of this United States. We need to stand up for our faith. So here we have preaching that's for education, edification, and exhortation. You get all of that from preaching, but you get none of it from speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is really no good for any of those things that I've just mentioned. Tongues were not intended for this, and that's really what the church is mostly about, isn't it? 
What we want to do is to proclaim the word of God, to educate people. We want to edify them. That's what church is all about. Educating people in their faith and and getting them to follow the Lord, to work and to live for Christ. That's what, what you need preaching for. And you don't get that from speaking in tongues. So no wonder that Paul puts this up at the top of the list. He says, preaching is your priority. And Paul puts speaking in tongues dead last. And that's because tongues are not for mature Christians. Back then, it was even for the spiritually immature because this does not aspire to the highest work of the church. Now, I want to go on dealing with the issue today, talking about speaking in tongues, because uh, Paul had much more to say about it. He was teaching the Corinthians about it, and he gave, gave further explanation. So that's what I want to do. We're going to look at it just a little bit more today. So the next thing we're going to look at here is the illustration of tongues. In the next verses, Paul goes on to talk about the abuse of tongues. And he gives us a a few illustrations. And he shows us that, that tongues can cause more harm than they do good when they're used in the wrong way. So there are two illustrations that he gives. Notice verse number six. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you except I speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? Paul is setting them up right here for an argument that whatever is said in the church must be understood. Even if he as an apostle came to them and spoke to them in some kind of a tongue, what good would it do unless that tongue contained some kind of a revelation? Now let's stop right there and think about that for just a minute. Do you know why tongues are no longer operating today or one of the reasons? It's because God is no longer giving new revelations. No one's going to speak in tongues and get a revelation from God because God is not today giving new revelations. Everything that God wants us to learn is already written right here in this book. Everything that we need to know is right here. And you can read this. You can understand it. With Holy Spirit guidance, you can know what God wants you to know. Now, when Paul wrote this, though, the New Testament wasn't yet completed. And so he could receive new revelations from God, and and that's how we got the rest of the New Testament. But today we have the Bible that's complete. And so if anybody says, well, I have a new revelation from God, well, if you got any revelation from God, you got the same revelation I got. And you got it from reading the Word of God because that's the only way that you're going to receive it. And so Paul says, what will it profit you unless this tongue contains a revelation? Then he says there must be some knowledge in that. There must be some prophesying in it. There must be some doctrine in that. Now, interestingly, all of that is right there in the book that we have. We have all the revelation that we need. We have all the doctrine that we need, all the knowledge we need, all the prophesying that we need. It's right here contained in this book. And the Word of God says that it is, it is good for doctrine, for reproof, instruction, and righteousness that we might be truly furnished unto every good work. So it seems that right here that Paul has ruled out the possibilities that we would need tongues today. What good would tongues do us when the Bible has all the bases covered? Now, many of the charismatics, if they would just begin to read the Bible and understand that better instead of trying to conjure up some kind of spirit, they would learn everything that they need to know. But Paul doesn't leave us without explanation and illustrations of this. So he gives us some illustrations. Look at verse number 7. And even things without life, giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known 
what is piped or a harp. Here's the first illustration that he gives. Music must make sense. Paul says, now let's go away from this spiritual thing for just a moment, and let's talk about something that's inanimate, something that's natural. And he says that in the natural world, you expect things to make sense. Let me show you something that doesn't make sense. I'm going to go over here to the piano today. And I'm going to play a song for you. Hmm. Do you understand that? Melissa, would you come and play that for me? See if you recognize what she plays here. That's good. Thank you very much. Any of you recognize what she's playing? Did you recognize that what I was playing? Did you understand any of it at all? You know why you understood what Melissa was playing? Because every note was in the right order where it was supposed to be, and it all made sense. What came to your mind when I was playing? Well, I was looking for confusion. When I was playing, there was a lot of confusion in that, and you didn't understand it. But when Melissa started playing, probably you, yeah, you did. You recognized the tune, and I'm sure that many of you started having the words come to your mind, didn't you? I mean, you knew exactly what was going on. You understood that. Now, that is a comparison that Paul is giving about tongues. If I stand up here and I speak all kinds of strange things that you can't understand, what good is that for you? What, what good's it going to do you? And, and you may think, well, Pastor Smith has really gotten in the spirit up there. But what spirit? How would you know what spirit? You didn't understand anything. I know that there's not a person here today that's going to go home and say, the sermon today and what Pastor Smith did was so uplifting. I'm so inspired by his beautiful piano playing. You're not going to say that because you didn't understand anything that I played. And I would submit to you that when people do this in churches, that you can't tell whether it's something that came from the Holy Spirit. And if there's a revelation that comes out of it, I promise you it didn't come from the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit does not give those revelations. So in order for music to be edifying, it has to make sense. And God's Word, in order for it to be edifying, it must make sense because that's the only way that you're going to understand what it says. You didn't know I was playing the old rugged cross. And that's what Paul is saying. You have to understand it. Now look at the second illustration he gives in verse number 8. For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? So the second illustration is that a bugle must give a certain sound. In Paul's day, they didn't have all the communications like we have today. When an army went into battle, uh, they didn't have communications like we have. Today, when an army goes out, they have sophisticated communication systems. You have a battlefield commander and a command center, and he can disseminate all the information that he needs in troops in many different places. In Paul's day, they couldn't do that. What they would have is a, perhaps a long line of troops, perhaps a mile or longer, hundreds of, deep, uh, hundreds of men deep, 
And the only way that you could communicate things to this army was through the blast of a trumpet, the sound of a bugle. And so every soldier had to learn exactly what each different sound meant. So there was a sound that told them to march. There's a sound that tells them to halt. There's a sound that tells them to retreat. Every soldier had to know what that trumpet sound was so he would know what to do. And if he didn't know that, then you have half the army advancing and half the army retreating, and what you have is chaos. That is an illustration about tongues. The meaning is that no one, or that everyone, I should say, should be very clear and not misunderstand what's said. Now, do you get that from tongues today? you've ever been to one of these churches where they practice that, is everyone perfectly clear about what's being said? Paul says, you might as well be speaking into the air if that's what you think. Or as the great Bible scholar Jim Croce said, you don't spit into the wind. And that's what Paul means. So there's these inanimate illustrations that he gives, and it brings him down to this whole point of the discussion. And the point is, people must understand what you speak. That's the point Paul's trying to make. Now, let me remind you of something. In the Bible times, the gift of tongues was not unintelligible language. If you read in the book of Acts chapter 2, it's very clear that when they spoke in tongues, they spoke in a, in a language that was understood by some culture group of that time. In other words, if there were Spanish-speaking people there, they would speak in Spanish. If there were Germans there, they would speak in German and French and Russian and so on. So there had to be somebody there that understood the language for it to be used. So Paul says, if I speak to you in Russian and nobody here understands Russian, what good will it do you? It has to be understood. So why would I stand up here today and speak to you in Latin if you couldn't understand that? Now conversely, if there's somebody here that only speaks Latin, then the way that I would minister to that person is I would have someone interpret what I say into Latin. If I were to speak to that person directly myself in Latin, then I'd have to have somebody else here to interpret everything that I said into English so that everybody can understand it. Now, look at verse number 10. He says, There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. The point there is that there are many different languages that are in the world, and all of those languages have meaning. That's what verse number 10 is saying. All of the languages have meaning. And so if a person does not know the meaning, it'd be like a foreigner standing up here and jabbering all kinds of nonsense to you. So Paul says, what's the point of that? If you're zealous to have a spiritual gift, then at least use that gift in the way that accomplishes God's purposes and not yours. What do we have language for? Language is for communication. And so if we don't communicate with our language, our language does us no good. So in every instance in the New Testament where anyone ever spoke in tongues, something was properly spoken and communicated and understood. There was no such thing as unintelligible languages where people were speaking in something that only God and angels could understand. And that ought to be clear to you, I hope, through the discussion we've had several times on this issue of tongues. 
Now let's go on here and let's read the next section because this is sort of a summary of the argument about understanding. Verse 13, Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. So this is about understanding it. Now remember, this is talking about Paul's day. This is not our day. And he says that the tongue has to be understood. So whether it's preaching or whether it's praying, whether it's singing, it doesn't do any good. The tongue is useless unless the one speaking it and the one hearing it understands it. Verse 16, Else when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest? So, in other words, how can anyone say amen to what you've said? Amen means so be it. It means let it be. That's an expression of agreement. Some of you need to say amen a little bit more often to show me that you are in agreement to what I'm saying. Sometimes the cold, dead silence in church makes me think that you're mad and you're going to lynch me when I get outside. So if you agree with me, say amen. Amen. All right, Paul says, how can we agree with something if we don't understand what we're agreeing to? Verse 17, for thou verily givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. So it might be a prayer that's spoken in eloquence, but if it's a tongue in Choctaw and nobody in, or, or something said in Choctaw and nobody understands Choctaw, then how are you going to know what it, what it means? He says, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than y'all, yet in the church I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Wow. And some of these people who, who practice this would just get a hold of that verse, read it over and over and over again. He says, five words spoken that you can understand is better than 10,000 words spoken in a, a tongue that makes absolutely no sense. So what does that tell us? 10,000 crazy words are not proof of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is never the author of confusion. And if the Spirit desires anything, he desires that the Word of God would be clearly communicated. What does the Bible say? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And so if what you hear you can't understand, there is no faith. And that's why preaching is so far superior to this thing of speaking in tongues. No matter how emotional it might make you feel, it doesn't matter A true spiritual gift is to be used for the real edification of God's people. In verse 20, he says, Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. So Paul gives them some insight into the illustration or the illumination of preaching and the illustration of tongues. And there we can see which one of these is superior. But there's also something else that's very important in this text today. And the third thing that I want to show you is the instruction from the text. Now we're going to dig a little bit deeper, and we're going to try to understand why tongues were given in the first place. And as we find out why tongues were originally given, then we'll understand why that we don't have tongues today and and that their purpose is over. And then at the same time, we'll understand better why God has left us with preaching. Look Look at two important verses. Verse number 21. In the law it is written, 
With men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people. And yet for all that, they will not hear me, saith the Lord. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. These are two verses that often get lost when there's a discussion about speaking in tongues. But these are important verses, and we need to understand them. Verse number 22 says that tongues were given as a sign. So it's important for us to find out what that sign is for. Last week, we had vacation Bible school, and we had a sign outside. There was a big sign between those two trees out there announcing vacation Bible school. This week, vacation Bible school is over. We're not trying to reach people through Vacation Bible School. So we took that sign down because that sign served its purpose and we don't need the sign anymore. Now what about the gift of tongues? What was it for? What was the sign for? And what time was it for? Well, notice here that Paul goes back to Scripture. He says, in the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, saith the Lord. That's a quotation from Isaiah 28, verse 11, which says, For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. So what's the relationship of Isaiah chapter 28 in the Old Testament to speaking in tongues in the New Testament? Let's think for a minute about the history of Israel. When Gary and I were in Israel... One of the things that we did was to visit many, many different archaeological sites. And there we saw different civilizations that that existed within the borders of Israel. One of the remarkable things that we saw was that there were symbols of Jewish worship of Jehovah God right along beside of symbols of pagan worship of pagan gods. I remember when we were in the city of Dan, our guide showed us a place there where there once stood the throne of Jeroboam II. And what Jeroboam tried to do was to mix the worship of Jehovah God with the worship of pagan gods. And so right there at his throne, on one side of the throne, there was a pagan symbol that was there. Now, when Isaiah was prophesying to Israel, he warned that God was going to bring judgment upon Israel because of this mixture of the worship of false gods. But the problem is, or was, that Israel wasn't listening. Isaiah was speaking and God was speaking, but they didn't hear what God said. And so God says, I'm going to get their attention. I'm going to send them another people. I'm going to send them some people with a message that hearing that message, they will not understand it, but they're going to get the message anyway. And so what did God do? Because of that mixture of worship, he sent the Assyrians They were a people who spoke a different language, one that Israel didn't understand, but Israel got the point. Now God's telling them something through a people and through words that they can't understand. It was a sign. So what was the sign? Well, it's a sign of judging the Jews. God God took the kingdom away from them, and, and he put Israel under a foreign power, under a people that spoke a language they couldn't understand. And God did the exact same thing with Judah. When Judah refused to obey and they started worshiping pagan gods, the Babylonians came and they came and they destroyed the temple. They destroyed the city of Jerusalem and carried the people away into captivity. After that captivity, the people returned to Jerusalem and Nehemiah was very distressed about it. And here's what he says. 
In those days also I saw Jews that had married wives of Ashdod, of Ammon, and of Moab. And their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod, and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. So this was a judgment upon the Jews. Now, let's fast forward a little bit here. Let's go from Isaiah in the Old Testament, and let's come to the, uh, to the New Testament. Now, it's 400 years since, since God has sent any word to the children of Israel. And then God begins to speak. John the Baptist was called out, and he was the forerunner of Jesus. And it was John's job to point out Christ. And he said, this is the Messiah. And so he began Jesus' ministry. Do I need to rehearse to you what happened to Jesus? He was rejected by his own countrymen. After three years of public ministry where the Apostle John tells us that Jesus had many, many signs that were proof that he truly was the Messiah, yet Israel rejected him. They took him and they beat him mercilessly. They hung him on that cross. He died there and then they put him in a tomb and three days later he arose from the grave. Now I want you to fast forward another 50 days till we come to the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, there are 120 disciples that are gathered in the upper room The Bible says that there came a sound as of a rushing mighty wind. And the Holy Spirit descended upon those people with cloven tongues like as of fire. And suddenly all the people began to speak in different languages, different foreign languages. Then after that, Peter began to preach. And he preached a sermon in which he did what? He rehearsed the history of Israel. And he reiterated the fact that they had rejected the true Messiah. They rejected the Lord Jesus. So what should the Jews have gathered from that unusual event of tongues? What they should have seen, that there is judgment coming. Just like judgment fell in the Old Testament when Israel wouldn't obey, when they rejected Jehovah God, so here is a sign to tell them that because they have rejected Jesus Christ, judgment is coming. And do you know judgment did come? In A.D. 70, the Roman general Titus came back into Jerusalem again And he destroyed the temple of Jerusalem and destroyed the entire city. It wasn't until about 60 years ago, after 2,000 years almost, until about 60 years ago that Israel became a nation again. So tongues were a sign to Israel that God's judgment had come because of the rejection of Christ. Now let me ask you, do we need that sign today? Do we have to have that sign? Do we need to show it today? Now, interestingly enough, 1 Corinthians was written before A.D. 70, before the destruction of Jerusalem. And we find that there is no book of the New Testament that mentions the use of tongues after A.D. 70. In fact, you'll find that the gift of tongues is not in any book but the book of of Acts and here in 1 Corinthians. And all of Paul's great discourses about Christian life and about the Holy Spirit coming upon people, never once does he mention the gift of tongues. Peter wrote about it. John wrote about it. They wrote about the coming of Christ. They wrote on eschatological matters. They speak about these end times. They speak about Christian living. But not one time do any of them ever say anything about speaking in tongues. Why not? Because tongues are past. The time of their sign is over with. And you don't need the sign anymore. But there's more instruction that we receive from the text. Because next, in this, there is a sign of accepting the Gentiles. When God judged the Jews, he did something else. And what he did was to open up the way for Gentiles. 
Speaking in the tongues of many different nations was one way that God was saying, now I'm opening up the way of the gospel to all different people. Not just Jews, not just Jews, but Gentiles. Anyone who believes the gospel of Jesus Christ, anyone, any place in the world, no matter who they are, if they believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will be saved. Now listen here to Romans 11, where Paul is discussing how that Israel rejected Christ. He writes there, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Speaking of Israel, God forbid. But rather through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles. Now, interestingly, the sign of tongues was repeated in Acts chapter 10. You know what's taking place there? God gave a message to Peter, and he told Peter to go preach to Gentiles. So Peter went to preach to the household of Cornelius. And you know what happened? When Cornelius believed the gospel, God sent the Holy Spirit again, and the gift of tongues were in evidence again, and that was to show that God was accepting now Gentiles. Gentiles can be brought into the fold. Now let me ask you again. Do we need that sign again? Does anybody need a sign that Gentiles are going to be saved? 99.9% of all people saved in the world today are Gentiles. We don't need the sign any longer. The sign is over with. So when people speak in tongues today, it's by their own contrivance. Or better, maybe I should say that it comes from a spirit and holy does not go in front of it. It doesn't come from the Holy Spirit. So tongues are not for today. They don't serve a purpose. Their purpose is in a bygone era. The time for them is past, and God does not want us resurrecting something that was done 2,000 years ago that's over with. And so Paul spoke to Timothy, and he said, Speak in tongues, Timothy. Don't forget to speak in tongues. That's the way you're going to reach people. That's what I want you to do. That's not what God said, or what Paul said. He spoke to Timothy, and he said, Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. So what are we supposed to do? Preach the word. This is what God commands. Now that's the last thought in your listening sheet today. Don't worry about speaking in tongues because God absolutely will not give you the gift of speaking in tongues. God says, preach the word. And that's because people are saved by the word. And folks, preaching is superior to all spiritual gifts. So let's do some more preaching. And let's let the Holy Spirit speak to hearts through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that's the way that you're going to get saved. The world needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that comes from the preaching of God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and and the gospel of Jesus Christ that is the power of God unto salvation. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us a gospel to preach and that we can very clearly communicate it to a lost and dying world. And help us, Lord, that we might do more of this very thing, preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Speak to some heart today. Draw them to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.